Well, this morning we are continuing our series, Joy. And as we go uh, on this road trip through the book of Philippians this summer, and if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the first chapter, verses 9 through 11, so you can turn there if you want. But while Philippians is undisputably um, a, a letter from Paul, a thank you note, we don't want to lose sight that this is also a letter that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, what does scripture say about itself? It says that it's inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and that God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. And so we want to keep that in mind as we go through the book of Philippians. Yes, it's a letter, but it's so much more. And so in this letter that Paul is writing um, to the Philippian church, the first week we learned that Jesus is the source of our joy. Um, last week we, we saw Paul as he was praising the church in Philippi as they came alongside him in his ministry, um, but also helped out the church family in Jerusalem. And were just uh, very open to, to doing whatever it was that, that God was asking them to do. And we saw that their joy produced generous giving. Well, this week we move from Paul praising the Philippians into Paul praying for the Philippians. And so again, I want us to, to remember that this is is also scripture. It isn't just a letter. It's so much more than that. And so this morning, I want us to consider this question. What would it look like if God answered this prayer of Paul in our lives? What would it look like if Paul answered, or God answered this prayer of Paul in our lives? And so here's his prayer this morning. And before I read that, Last week, remember, we touched on that Paul always offered prayer with joy in his every prayer for all of them. And so with that, his prayer is being filled with joy. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Paul wrote, And this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what can we take? What can we glean from Paul's prayer this morning? Maybe it's going to be correction. Maybe it's going to be reproof. Maybe it's going to be training in righteousness. How we learn from Paul's prayer to the Philippian church is, is that it is more than just a letter. But what would it look like if Paul answer, or God answered that prayer of Paul's in our life? So let's start out with this to, to kind of break his prayer down a little bit. He starts out with, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Now, this is not that lightweight 
trivial kind of love. We kind of throw the word love around a lot. It's not loving chocolate. It's not loving fishing. It's not loving ice cream. And I may have offended you because some of the, you, you might have really deep love for some of those things. But it's not that, that kind of love that's easily replaced by the next best thing. He's not talking about that lightweight kind of love. He's talking about that love that would abound more and more still in the hearts of the Philippians. A love that changes a heart, that matures a heart, that has an effect on our actions. There should be no limit to our love capacity as followers of Jesus. There should be no saturation point. We should continue to grow in the measure of love, an ever-increasing love. He goes on to say, and I pray that this love would abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Real knowledge and all discernment. Now, some translations say knowledge and insight, but the New American Standard Bible catches the essence of what Paul is really saying here in real knowledge and all discernment. Paul's saying that allow this love to expand real knowledge, knowledge of God, based on, on biblical revelation and, and knowledge that is spiritual knowing in the heart. It's not just facts on a page. It's, it's the knowledge that's gained experientially through our relationship with God. I don't know if you're aware how many different avenues actually you can take in order to be credentialed with the assemblies. We do have what we call MinSOM here in Minnesota, and that's Minnesota School of Ministry. And, and in that, all the classes that you take are very much geared towards the ministry. And that's how you complete your, your educational requirements for it. Um, you can also do some distance education classes and things like that. Um, you can have a lot of experience, and then that's kind of your education process because, let's face it, how many of us have learned a lot from experience, and so they take that into consideration. Or you can do a four-year degree type of, um, and, and earn a bachelor's degree, and then that can complete your education process as well. And, and that's the, the route that I ended up going in, and I could say I chose it, but I really think God chose it for me um, because I had to take generals like, like everybody else. And so that means that I had to uh, endure through two semesters of trying to learn a foreign language at the age of 40. Not recommended. I, I have no idea if I could say a full sentence in Spanish to this day after spending two semesters trying to learn the language. Um, I also had to take um, physical education classes. So I was playing kickball with kids that were my kids' age. Yeah, that was interesting. It was good that I could still run at that time, so it wasn't as embarrassing as it sure could have been. Um, I also had to take algebra. Now, math, usually, you know, I didn't have too much problem with that, and so I managed to get through college algebra, um, not, not in too rough a shape. Uh, I also took a uh, science and, and science has never really interested me. It's not, not bad, not good. It's just, it is what it is. I'd rather do the math type of stuff. But I didn't want to take 
chemistry because then I'd have to memorize that periodic chart and it's like whoa not at my age thinking that's not going to work out so well and so I settled on earth science in part because I thought not quite as much memorization was going to be involved here Um, and my youngest son was actually taking the class at that time as well and so that way I didn't have to buy a book and we could do the class together and it really was a fun experience but part of what we learned in that class is we had to uh identify different elements and and so over the course of the the uh, couple of weeks I think it was that we took um, the instructor would lay out all of these these elements and they'd be labeled and we could look at them and stuff and you would think you know you'd have a really good understanding but you know I'm a kind of a visual learner anyway and I thought well this isn't going to be so hard well, it's very interesting because by the time the exam came around and he had all of those elements laid out on the table without the labels, boy, they sure looked an auto like. <laughs> I thought, oh, shoot. Well, there was one element that no one in the class got right. And it was an element that we were told before the exam, when we were just learning about the elements, that if you tasted it, it would be very distinctive. Now, I don't remember what it was called today. but So he, the instructor had all of us in the class lick our finger, run it across the element, and then taste it. And I thought, well, it doesn't really seem like that's going to be any better than people just taking it and licking it with their tongue. But nobody died, so um, I think we're okay. Didn't hear of that. But, but it was very distinct. But none of us for the exam did that. And so none of us were able to identify it. Now, why am I sharing this? Because it reminds me of Psalm 34.8. When the psalmist wrote, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The concept is, is that we spend time in God's presence, in prayer and reading his word, and, and we'll learn who God is. He'll be easily identified him and his attributes Taste and see, God is good. Of course, truly knowing God is not just knowing about him, though. It's not just knowing the facts on the page again, but it's a spiritual knowledge gained as we spend time with him in our relationship. Real knowledge is spiritual truth. And so it's a stirring of a desire to be in his word and being in prayer and and just being in his presence. And that's going to generate joy Joy in ever-increasing love in real knowledge. But Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi was not just that, that they were going to grow in knowledge, but that it was going to be coupled with discernment to know what is right. So returning back to Philippians chapter 1, the first part of verse 10, Paul continues his prayer with, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Grow in knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. You know, we live in a time where our our nation is struggling. We don't have any moral compass anymore. What was absolutely unthinkable 50 years ago, or I would even say maybe 20 years ago, is socially accepted today. And, And so with that, we have to be able to make sure that, that we nurture that ever-increasing 
love for knowledge and discernment so that we can keep that moral, get it out yet, moral compass in alignment with God. Because just because it's socially accepted does not mean that it's right. For whenever increasing love in real knowledge is coupled with discernment, our actions are going to be affected. Our moral compass is going to read accurately. With uh, joy, our ever-increasing love and knowledge and discernment is going to lead us to right living with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul provides us with a reminder in this kind of correction to the church in Corinth. Now, this was brought about because um, some of the believers in Corinth were you know, had gotten to the point where it didn't matter to them if if the food, the meat was sacrificed to idols or not. They recognized there's no power in idols anyway, and so it really doesn't matter. And so their consciences were, were fine eating that meat. It wasn't a big deal to them. And some of them had kind of gotten a little arrogant about doing that, and it was harming the early believers in Corinth. They were starting to stumble in their faith. And so in all of that, he was saying, just because it's okay for you doesn't mean that it is good for others. And so it was causing confusion in younger believers. And, and they were, the younger believers were just learning to separate themselves from the world. And so, again, some of them ended up stumbling in their faith because of this. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, and he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Things are lawful, but not all things edify. Just because you've been saved by grace, not everything is profitable or edifying to our faith, especially if it harms another person's faith. Paul is saying here's a really good rule of thumb to follow. Don't just ask the question, is my action harmful? But ask, is it helpful to the building up of our brother or sister in Christ and also ourselves? So with joy, our ever-increasing love and real knowledge and discernment will lead us to right living with our brothers and sisters in Christ bringing about that bond of peace in the body. Our ever-increasing love and knowledge and discernment, though, will also lead us to right living with the lost as well. Same chapter of Corinthians, verses 32 and 33, Paul wrote, Give no offense either to Jew or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit for the profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Now that's a rather countercultural thought. I'm not going to do this for my profit. We currently live in this self-driven, entitlement-focused, kind of do-what-feels-good-for-me culture. Many are standing, are, are standing demanding their rights. And, and so, yes, it can even creep in to the church. 
But Paul is saying, don't, I don't do what benefits me. I do what benefits those around me. I'm going to be sensitive, and I'm going to be considerate. When we have ever-increasing love and real knowledge from the Word of God and all discernment through the Holy Spirit's guidance and counsel, then we can see spiritual knowledge gained from the understanding of the Word, and it enables us to love what God commands and then also to obey, allowing his commands to guide our actions and put them into practice. A setting of our moral compass so that we're going to be able to tell what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, and I even say what's good and what's God, so that we do and know the things that are excellent. I don't want us to be deceived into thinking that the world is needing the church to behave like the world. We don't need to be weird about it, that, that we live differently, nor should we climb up on a self-righteous pedestal. I don't believe that the world, though, is needing another person fitting in with the culture. The world's needing a witness of followers of Jesus that are going to use our our God-led moral compasses, seeing ever-increasing love in real knowledge and, and all discernment, and then putting that into action. Now, I'm not saying this to indicate that that if we know this, that we're going to do it all perfectly. Um, Obviously, uh, mistakes are going to be made along the way. In fact, I'm not even saying that if we were to do it all perfectly, that that would guarantee that all that would witness us would be saved, because obviously that is up to them to make that decision. What we're responsible for, though, is to position ourselves to have ever-increasing love in real knowledge and all discernment. That's what we're supposed to do. So then I think the good question is, so how do we do that then? How do we position ourselves to, to grow in ever-increasing love in real knowledge and all discernment? Well, you remember now that we are on a summer journey through Philippians, right? Our little road trip together. And, and quite frankly, you cannot have a road trip in Minnesota in the summertime without a detour, right? Okay, so we're going to take a little detour here for just a minute, but, but hang on. Um, this detour that we're going to take through the pea jungle is going to bring us back out um, to where we need to be, unlike some other detours I've been on that I never did manage to get out to where I was supposed to be. That's not going to be the case this morning. We're going to get back there, but just trust me for a minute. So obviously this is the time of year that I can head out to the garden and and I can harvest all kinds of vegetables, my kale, broccoli, cauliflower, peas. Um, I've got fruit, raspberries, and and for the first time I'm going to be harvesting black raspberries, so I'm excited to to see um, how that goes. But, But honestly, there is nothing better than having my grandsons accompany me out to the, the garden, the pea jungle as my oldest grandson, Hudson, calls it. After growing up shelling brown grocery sack after brown grocery sack as a kid, I still love to shell peas. I absolutely love it. And, and my youngest son and his family absolutely love to eat them. And so even though it's just Pat and I living at the house now, I still plant 150 feet of peas. 
That's what, that's what we do. And, and quite frankly, those 150 feet of peas are, are, are three rows of a little bit of heaven for Hudson and Jack, our grandsons. They love to be in the pea jungle. And early on, I taught Hudson how to hold on to the vine and, and then pull off the pod so that he doesn't pull everything off at the same time. So I taught him to hang on to that. And of course, that motivation of him to do it correctly is so that he gets to eat more peas because they're going to continue to produce. And so in that, obviously, we wanted to uh, not have that, that remaining fruit just end up withering and, and being useless because it had been broken off from the vine. Jesus says that it's the same with us. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we as followers of Jesus don't remain connected to him, we cannot bear fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. We won't be able to effectively witness to the lost. We won't be able to discern what is good and what is harmful for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and our witness to the lost. We won't be able to do that. We need to stay connected to Jesus through the word because Jesus is the word, and through prayer, to have that constant connection with our Heavenly Father, to be sensitive to his presence. And Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing, to stay connected to Jesus. And this leads into how Paul concludes his prayer for the Philippians, to have that ever-increasing love in real knowledge and all discernment starting with the second half of verse 10. Again, we need to stay connected to Jesus, and here's why. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God as ever-increasing love in real knowledge and all discernment grows and expands, it produces the fruit of righteousness in a believer's life. Not a self-righteousness in in us trying to, to live a life according to a list of rules or us living our life according to our strength. It's not that kind of righteousness. That's a self-righteousness. Because honestly, um, if, if we try to, to live it according to a, a list of, of our own rules and, and think that that's going to produce righteousness of God, it'd be about as futile as a pea pod's attempt to flourish while it was no longer attached to the vine. It's not possible. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not that's a self-righteousness, but a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, a godly righteousness. 
the fruit of righteousness, of course, includes all the character traits flowing from a right relationship with God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, compassion, humility, you know, forgiveness, faithfulness, bearing with one another, all of those fruit are going to be evident in the fruit of righteousness. A righteousness that only comes through Christ, our source of joy. A righteousness that begins the moment that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. A righteousness that brings about that precious fruit to the glory and praise of God. The Bible says that one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And each one of us is going to give an account of ourselves to God. So determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way, but to walk according to love. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. For the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a sobering and joyous prospect that we as followers of Christ will one day stand before him and give an account. Give an account of what we have done. And it should encourage us to stay connected to God, to Jesus, to abide in him, For he said himself that apart from him, we can do nothing good. And so I want all of us, I certainly want it for myself, but but all of us, to be able to stand before Christ, having been connected to him, and give an account for what we have done. So as I close this morning, the first question I want to ask is, are you connected to Jesus? Are you connected? Have you opened your heart to him and received him as your Lord and Savior? He's our source of joy and salvation. He's already made a way for that relationship to be possible when he died on the cross, and and he's inviting you to, to just receive it, to acknowledge that you want that relationship with him. That's the starting point. And so if that's you today, would you just take a moment as I, I, when I pray at the end of the service here for you to just whisper in your own heart, I need you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Turn your sin and, and ask him to come into your heart. And if you don't have all the right words, that's okay. Just say, Jesus, I just want you in my heart. I just want to live with you. I want to be connected with you. We're not going to embarrass you with that. Just do that as we close in prayer in a minute here. The second question I want to ask is for those of you who have already received Christ as your Savior and Lord. Have you allowed distractions in the world to to weaken your connection with Jesus? Have they pulled you away from spending time with him in reading your Bible? Would you say, I haven't been praying very much right now. I've allowed myself to become disconnected a little bit from Christ. I just encourage you, if that's you, that you would take some time again as we pray at the end of service here to to confess that to God. God, I'm sorry that I've allowed these distractions to draw me away, to pull me away from you. I want to 
draw close to you again. He's faithful to forgive. And so I encourage you to do that. Or maybe you're here today and, and you've never spent time reading God's word or, or spent time in prayer. You believe that you know Jesus is your Lord and for you would say that, but you're just not sure how to take that next step. And so I just encourage you, we would love to partner with you in helping you to grow deeper in your faith. That's part of what our mission here at Hill City Assembly of God is, is that we all would grow deeper in our faith no matter where we're at. But if you're wanting to take that next step and read God's word and learn how to pray, would you take a moment and just share that with the prayer team after service today? Or you can catch me as well. We just want to help you take that next step in growing deeper. Because again, we want everyone to be growing deeper in our faith. And then lastly, this is for everybody. Again, what would it look like if God answered this prayer of Paul in our lives? How would it impact our life? How would it impact our church? How would it impact the hurting and the lost if Paul answered this prayer? Or God answered this prayer? So I'm going to end this morning by praying Paul's prayer over us. And so if you just bow your heads with me, we're going to close with Paul's prayer. Lord, I pray that you would stir up in our spirits an ever-increasing love and real knowledge and all discernment. Through spending time reading your word and being in prayer, so that we may approve the things that are excellent through right living, resulting in building up one another in the faith and, and witnessing to the lost in order that we may be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the spirit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory of and praise of you. And all the Lord's people said, Amen.